What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 110 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and this week I'm joined by Andre Seekers and Ash Paulson. We're going old school with the original three. Well, right. kind of. We had Tom in here. <laughs> True. <laughs> but yeah, we're all here. We're uh, just kind of an apologies for last week because we were busy. Like, you guys were working on all the Smash stuff that came out. Kirby blew me away. Like, all this Kirby stuff I had to take care of from that DLC coming out. It's like, what the heck is going on? I don't remember having to do this much for the first time it was released, although I guess I did, but wow. it's It was a crazy weekend. Yeah. But yeah, and having the weekly Smash discussions doesn't <laughs> doesn't help that much <laughs> in terms of like scheduling things. So I think we're going to try and start recording a little bit earlier now for the podcast. Is that our goal? Yeah, Hopefully, I or? think so, I think because so. Uh, it just makes sense, and honestly, that's what we should be doing in the first place. It, it's true. We, I think we've attempted this before, and it always keeps, keeps getting pushed back. <laughs> Maybe we'll stick with it, though, a, mid, a mid-year uh, resolution. Yeah, that's true. We, I mean, I, we definitely have, have given it a good go before. It's like, let's record earlier in the week, and somehow something always derails us, but we definitely do have good intentions. Mm. <laughs> it's like for some reason like Nintendo will like hey it's Thursday night we should we should uh, we should release something or announce something you know there's yeah, a off. random Labo trailer for Mario Kart that you had no <laughs> idea what's coming right exactly it's just okay sure why not but um, well how have you been Andre what have you been up to it's been it's actually been a little bit rough recently Derek really why is that I don't know I don't know if you know this um, I just had a recent breakup Oh, I did hear about this, and I yeah, uh, my condolences. I know, man. It's I don't know how I'm going on, but uh, yeah, I finally uh, finally unsubscribed to Movie Pass, and it just crushed me. <laughs> I was like, for I was like, for a second, I thought you were serious. I was like, there's no way he's serious. Cause I he am was- not making light of this, Ash. <laughs> what? How dare you? This isn't Megabus. This is. <laughs> I am bearing my soul here, that is, and that's you true. are, and you think this is a joke? <laughs> I apologize. That's true. I, I spoke out of turn. Movie Movie Pass is a big deal. I, I didn't it's- realize it was it was a breakup that was hurting you we- this much. We had a ten month commitment, man. I thought we were long term, and uh, they just, you know, they they changed. You know, it's really, you know, it's not me; it's them in this case. Uh, they changed in some ways for the worst, and yeah, I had I had to bail, and you know, I have to I have to admit, you know, I probably shouldn't admit this, um, just for my own public image, but I cheated on them too. I, I signed up for uh, AMC A list a few days before I canceled. Oh man, so, man. <laughs> Now you're moving in on my territory because that's what I signed up for, and uh, I know I, I yeah. taking advantage of like you were pushing me for Movie Pass all this time. Granted, it was a good service, but um, as you, it yeah. was an amazing service. It was a magically impossible service that somehow <laughs> lasted a year almost. Yeah, which it probably shouldn't have made it that long. So I mean, if there's anything the good to come out of Movie Pass other than the fact that it was just a fantastic service for people, it's that it forced AMC's hand. I mean yeah, that's it. I mean they true. they changed the industry. Um, we've seen uh, subscription services come out for I think three of the other uh, three of the major theater chains now being um, AMC, uh, Alamo. I guess they're not quite up there with the others, but they're they're still pretty big. Mm-hmm. And then also Cinemark. Although Cinemark's program completely sucks. <laughs> so I think with uh, AMC now bringing their own program, I wonder if Cinemark has to you know improve theirs because theirs is literally like you pay the cost of a ticket a month. For one ticket to a movie and like discounts on stuff. What? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so stupid. Yeah, I really I, hope I, Regal Cinema signs on to do something soon because that's the only kind of theater I have near me. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if Regal did have some sort of subscription service, then I would certainly look into it. But there are no AMC's near us really that that are easy to get to. So it's just like, eh, I want to do mm-hmm. it. But I am curious though, Andre, what was 
the straw that broke the camel's back? When when did you decide this is it? We're breaking up. Where I'm walking away. <laughs> the straw. So there are there are a couple straws there. So um, I mean, I think for the for a while, like they they have been introducing some you know some restrictions on the plan for the last few months, and they didn't bother me personally. I can see why they might bother others. But for the price that you were paying, it was still an amazing deal. But it's kind of like the death by a thousand paper cuts. And what started really, and what really kind of broke the camels, or the straw that broke the camels back, was when they um, surge pricing. They introduced surge pricing, and some of the some of the prices for those was like eight dollars for a movie, Oof. which in some regions is a cost of a ticket. Here, it's still like half the cost of a ticket. So in a vacuum, it'll still be a good deal. But now the AMC A list exists. It's like, well, this is kind of stupid now that I'm paying almost the cost, you know, for one movie, the cost of what A-List is by itself, hmm. when A-List is arguably a better experience if you ignore the cost, because it works on any screening, whether it's Dolby or um, IMAX or any, or 3D, which hmm. uh, MoviePass only worked on the standard base screenings. And on top of that, you can reserve movies in advance, uh, you know, pick your seats, which you couldn't do with MoviePass as well. So, um, yeah, so it was a combination of that. Also, what really kind of drove the point home was an AMC to start pulling listings and uh, pulling listings. And now uh, they won't even let you see movies for the first two weeks of their existence. And again, I think in a vacuum, that could still work as a really good deal, but they're no longer operating in a vacuum. Because they did change the industry, there are now competitors to them. And at this point, it just made sense to go with AMC A list for me. Yeah, Hmm. gotcha. I, I I definitely want to use my AMC stubs. Uh, uh, more recently, like I've I've seen enough movies this month, and I've I've made back you know what I spent for the month. But I still want to see more. Uh, the only thing that kind of bums me out, and I understand it, but I really wish I could uh, use two of my uh, tickets for the week um, on the same movie, so me and a friend can go see it. Because I ran into that issue. I was like, well, I'll just get this for you, and nope, had to uh, buy that one normally, which kind of sucked. Uh, yeah, you yeah. have to have like an hour difference between them because uh, you could see it on the same day, but you can't see it at the same time. Which mm, that sucks. That is a downside yeah. about um, uh, the reserved seating is that you can't you know pull the old school method of sneaking into the next screening if you wanted to. <laughs> right, yeah. it's a practical limitation, but it is kind of a shame that you can't bring a buddy with you. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll lead up a I'll lead up one of my t- uh, times for the week and just get a friend in. That it makes sense to me, but. Oh well. well, they check. Don't they? They check IDs though to uh, make sure your uh, uh, reservation matches. Yeah, I think so. They're supposed to, so you can't. So you can use it on a friend if you want to. Yeah, I just wish I like I used it for three D a three D movie because my uh, one friend, um, one other friend likes three um, uh, D movies. So it was like, hey, we have the chance. Might as well. We're not paying anything extra because he has it as well, and. Um, uh, I'm like, man, I wish I had like one of those really fancy AMCs, like you have the like reclining seats and all that. I just have the AMC classics near me. I'm like, dang. Oh, dude, I'm sorry, man. I can't go back. I can't do. So oh, I get, know. So I will even. I don't even want to see IMAX anymore, but they still have the old crappy seats that are, you know, the ones you're describing. Whereas I'd much rather have a slightly smaller screen, or you know, I, you know, I guess it is it's substantially smaller. It doesn't feel that much smaller mm-hmm. um, because they're closer to it. But I'd, I'd rather take the smaller screen in exchange for way more comfortable seating. I want the recliner. I want the leather seats. I can't go back. If you don't have that, I'm not watching your. I'm not watching your theater. <laughs> I've only had that once. I've I've only ever seen one movie ever in where they had a theater like a recliner style theater where I was like, holy crap, this is cool. And it was at an AMC. And it's because I never go to AMC or when I used to, like when I was younger, they didn't have that yet. So I hadn't been back to AMC in 
forever. And then when I finally went to go see a movie there with some friends, I'm like, this is a recliner. This is awesome. And it was for Spider-Man Homecoming. So it was a really good experience. And, it's it's uh, transformative. Like, it actually yeah. makes going to the theaters appealing again. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, so no, hoping really one cool. of my theaters gets upgraded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I am us- or as usual, I am super behind on movies, uh, especially because my wife and I had uh, traveled for a couple of weeks during the summer there. But uh, we did actually finally see Incredibles 2, and I was very happy with it. Um, we just had a great time with it, and... I how long have we have we been waiting for that sequel? And I feel like it totally delivered. And you uh, think so? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on the same level as Incredibles one. Like it's Incredibles one is so it didn't completely deliver then. But it's still <laughs> but like if Incredibles one is no one like a no one wants a sequel that's not as good as the first one. Well, but it's just especially after a fifteen year wait. Like if if, if Incredibles <laughs> one is like a ten out of ten, I would rate Incredibles two as like a nine point five or nine point eight. It's really close. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair, but I mean, I would think your expectations are a little bit higher after 15 years. Not really, because Incredibles is, is landmark. It was land, like it was a landmark. Like, I didn't necessarily expect it to, you know, better it. It would have been nice if it did, but I don't know. I thought it was the fact that they made another movie that in most respects is every bit as good. I, and I would say even the action sequences were probably better in two. But I agree with that. The action mm-hmm. sequences were absolutely better. I mean, the CG yeah. was better. Yeah, the, probably the directing was better overall. Um, I just felt like I think the heart of it wasn't as strong as I the agree. first one. Yeah. Yeah. It felt kind of like I mean, it kind of felt like a repeat of the first one in a general uh, thematic sense, but not as strong. Um, I mean, I loved I loved some of the individual sequences, like the Jack Jack, uh, both Jack Jack, both of the main Jack Jack scenes. <laughs> Jack Jack and uh, Edna. So yeah, good. yeah, yeah. That Jack Jack and Edna was great. <laughs> What a good and then the raccoon fight, also amazing. Oh, so good. Um, but it, the connective tissue wasn't as strong to me, I thought. So That's fair. I think I, I think that's why I felt a, a little bit short. And um, I agree, though, it was good. But it's a movie I've also kind of forgotten about. Like, I don't even remember that much from it now that I'm a few weeks out. Yeah. Uh, and I think Pixar, like, some of their best sequels have been better than the first one. Like, uh, Toy Story was also a landmark film. And fair. Toy Story 2, I think, actually improved upon it. Mm-hmm. And I would say Toy Story 3 improved upon both. So I, I hear you. Yeah. Like, I, I don't agree there. I know, but I know you don't. I, but I, will, I, I respect your point in this, in this context. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I think the, my biggest issue with Incredibles 2 is it felt like Violet and Dash had so little to do in this one. Yes, and Violet's still my favorite. Her power is so cool, and I want to see her use more of it, especially when she used her force fields like offensively, like she was throwing out waves of energy that sliced something in two. I'm like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I would be so down for a spinoff just following Elastigirl and Violet, just them, because they are my favorite. Jack-Jack I like a lot, but Dash, honestly, he makes me itch just watching him because he just drives <laughs> me crazy. I just, oh, God, he drives me up the wall. I can't stand Dash. <laughs> Ugh. Is it because uh, his your name is in his name? No, well, I mean, sure, I, sure but it's mainly because every, almost everything that goes wrong in that movie with them could, can really be attributed to him just doing something stupid. Like, he yeah. just has no self-control, and I get it, he's, a, he's a, a little kid, he's a boy, he's got full of energy, but damn, he's annoying. <laughs> he just drove me crazy. Uh, the Elastocycle was cool, though. That was that sequence was awesome. The mm. way the bike would split apart and that's the, yeah the action sequences were really really well choreographed and yeah it was and I liked the screen slaver. I, li- I liked the villain. Um, I thought I, I thought that fight that Elastigirl had with who she thought was screen slaver during the uh, strobe. God, do not go see that movie if you're an epileptic. Oh my yeah, god! Oh like, yeah, that no part kidding. was so cool though. 
It was cool. I, yeah, I, it looked cool, but yeah, definitely don't see it if you have any yeah, any fear of epilepsy at all. Yeah. Any concerns about having it whatsoever? Yeah, I, I hear they've toned it down a bit, but yeah. Oh, okay. Did they tone? I know they posted uh, warnings for it outside some theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't, did they actually tone it down? I, I think at least when I heard when it got to its European release, they did tone it down because of just okay. the issues with it, which is kind of insane that they let it get that far. Um, the I, I did see. Um, Beyond Incredibles 2, I did get to the movies and see uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, I want to see that. It was fun. It was fun. Like, I heard I, it's great. Oh, it, it's it's really good. And the the fun thing about the Mission Impossible movies, especially ever since the J.J. Abrams thing took over, I've just been... It's, it's perfect popcorn movies. Like, I can go see them, enjoy them, and then kind of forget about them. You know, they're just... Dumb, enjoyable movies, and, and that's what I call a movie, pa- a movie pass movie. Exactly, and, <laughs> and I, they're I think amazingly it's totally consistent. Like they're they're like mission. This is the sixth movie, Mission Impossible Six. No sixth movie in any franchise has a has a right to be as good as these movies continue to be. Like this series is so consistent. Kind of reminds me of the Fast and Furious series, where like you know some. Well, the second one was the worst the one. Best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mi two suck, but then now we're in the fifth and sixth movies, and like it, these are just such strong, consistent movies, and. You know, Tom Cruise may be really weird in his personal life and Scientology and all that, but man, dude can do stunts like nobody else. Still ca- still charismatic as all get out, which is... Totally. <laughs> carries him really far. Now, no, the most important question, though, Derek, is does he do enough running? Oh, God, yeah. There's a okay, whole... Good. Apparently... <laughs> I think this might be the movie he does the most running okay. in. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes had a ranking, actually. I think they compared <laughs> the tomo- the uh, tomato rating or tomometer to how far he ran in each movie. That's <laughs> oh my awesome. God. Yeah. I always think of Mission Impossible 3 where he's just running, just balls to the wall. My pay! My pay! Whatever he's saying, he's just running. And that, that always makes me think of that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Highly recommended. And... Uh, I'm I'm hoping to get to the theater again this week because uh, Christopher Robin is out, and I've heard I I've not heard a lot, but I have a few things I have. You heard know why it. you haven't heard a lot? Why? Because the embargo is literally after the movie's already out. Really? Which usually isn't a good sign. <laughs> usually, That's not a good I, sign at all. I, I follow this guy um, Movie Bob on Twitter, and he he got to see, it and he of course he's limited by the embargo, but he always gives like a little hint about what he thinks, and he, it seemed positive. Okay. So, don't know why the embargo yeah, is like that. I was that, listening but. to, there was one review I found from Double Toasted, which are hilarious, mm-hmm. and they didn't sound too up on it, um, and they were comparing, you've seen, you've seen um, Paddington 2, right? Yeah. Okay, good, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so they said, like, it, it definitely came up short compared to that other Bear movie. Uh, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Bear enough? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, I do want to see uh, Mission Impossible. But the other thing that I haven't seen that I want to still is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Yeah, that movie is completely forgettable. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I like the, <laughs> Did you like the original Ant-Man? No, I mean, I, I thought it was whatever. So. Okay, fair enough. This, yeah. But this movie's worse than the original, I would say. I thought would the original you? had, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a very low-stakes movie. Um, fair like, enough. Well, <laughs> anything's not... going to be low-stakes after Infinity War. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just in general, like, even compared yeah. to a lot of other Marvel movies. Like, it isn't world-ending stuff. It's just, it's it's a more personal story. I mean, that's fine, though. I mean, that's not my problem with it. I actually want more lower stakes in, in Marvel movies. Uh-huh. Like, I think because so often the stakes are so big, you feel divorced from it, like, separated. Like, there's, like, it's always so abstract. Uh, whereas I like I like the smaller that's what kind of like I think I like Civil War more than um, the Avengers movies because the stakes sure. were smaller in that so 
Yeah, I see. They're more mean. personal, I should say. More personal stakes. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you'd get enjoyment out of it, Ash. All right. Well, I, I'm going to see it at some point. I, I think we want to see uh, Mission Impossible first, but although Ant-Man will probably leave theaters first, so maybe we should see that first. Um, <laughs> but uh, either way, I want to see them both. And uh, yeah, movies are awesome when I have a chance to go see them. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm disappointed that my uh, theater had um, "Won't You Be My Neighbor" and I completely missed out on it because of just too much work to get handled and I couldn't see it. So now I gotta like I kind of want to like look up where that might be so I can try again because I still want to see that documentary. Good luck seeing it with AMC A list. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> Actually, uh, Basola and I did watch a movie last night. We uh, got a movie from Redbox, uh, "The Greatest Showman," uh, oh, which yeah. was really enjoyable it was it was definitely problematic there were there were some parts of the story they glossed over in ridiculous ways and and it definitely was molded around the length of the film to make it fit but that soundtrack oh man (laughs) every song in that soundtrack it's basically a musical i mean they they marketed it as a movie but it's basically a musical and Mm -hmm. oh man that soundtrack was just so good like mm-hmm. I, I'd watch the movie again just for the just for the music. It really was that good, but the movie itself was a little more forgettable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've heard decent things. I don't have a ton of interest in it, but it's uh, yeah, no, it's totally fair. And I will say that I that my own interest in it was much higher when I initially and erroneously thought it was called the Greatest Snowman, and then I took another <laughs> look at the logo and saw it was the Greatest Showman. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound as interesting because I would totally pay full price for a movie called the Greatest Snowman just based on that name alone. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, now we have, now we know how to market to Ash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, what games you've been playing, Andre? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that many, huh? <laughs> wow. No, uh, I'm thinking. What have I been playing? I, I know one that you've been playing. What? WarioWare. Right. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. I, I feel like once I get a review. Done it out like they, that game's behind me. It's, it's just <laughs> that game doesn't down. exist anymore. It's um, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I play a bunch of Warrior War Gold. Like I unlocked everything in it, uh, or pretty much everything. It's still like one or two things left. It's good. Like I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good game. I think especially if it's your first Warrior War game, it's fantastic. Probably the best Warrior game to start with, or mm-hmm. Warrior War game to start with, because it's a pretty comprehensive look at most of the series uh, while adding on all of its new stuff, including a really good presentation with voice acting for every character member or for every character. So, yeah, it's really good. Um, the only downside is if you've played most of the other Warrior Warriors, especially the first three, then a lot of it's going to be familiar to you. So I really enjoyed going through the going through the main story mode. But after that, I'm like, now what? And that took like two <laughs> hours. Um, because yeah. I wasn't really that inclined to you know go for the high score in each, invi- each individual stage. But I've done it all before. Um, maybe some people who you know don't mind repetition as much as I do like would still find value in that who have played those games before. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's still I think it's still a good game if you played them before. But if you're new to the series, this is this is the one to pick up. So hmm. yeah, I've not actually owned a WarioWare game, so I might pick it up. But then you think, eh, it's on 3DS, and holy crap, there are so many other games to play right <laughs> right now. Like yeah, uh, I have so much to catch up on. And I after after the uh, fun of trying to defeat the final dungeon boss of Octopath Traveler, I'm like, I am done. I am not dealing with this. <laughs> I'm treating myself, and I decided to get the all the uh, legacy collections for Mega Man, both Classic and X. Hell so, yeah, you did. I've been kind of working through that, but then uh, 
I got Splatoon on the mind because of the new update, and I was like, you know, I haven't beaten the Octo Expansion yet, so I actually recently did that and beat finally beat the Octo Expansion, and it is, oh, it is so much better than the main campaign. It is amazing how much, like, even the story is just so much better than the main campaign. Um, did not expect what the final boss is, and it's so freaking cool. Oh, man, uh, I gotta go back and finish it. I really want to. Oh, I keep yeah. hearing such good things. And I did, uh, I did by accident hear a Splatoon music spoiler, and it, it uh, you know, for Splatoon 2 Octo Expansion's final battle, and I really wish I hadn't, because I would have loved to, to have discovered that in the context of the game. However, holy crap, that song is awesome, and I can't mm. wait to go back and actually finish the game and hear it within the game. Oh, it works so well in context, oh, too. I can't it's- wait. I was so happy. Just it was just fun when I finally completed all eighty of them, all eighty of the missions, and went and did that. But because I also did all of the all eighty of the challenges and got all the mem cakes, I unlocked the uh, secret boss. And screw that secret boss! <laughs> that thing is that is brutal. Uh, it is a brutal, brutal fight. And I don't want to spoil anything about it. Uh, all I will say is. It's just constant auto bombs and having them chase you. And the thing is, I can get, I was like, okay, I'm doing pretty well. I'm able to get to phase three of this fight. I just need to, if I could just get it, get it down, I can defeat phase three and I'll be in good, it'll be done. And I I just happened to look it up. Like, I'm curious about what it is. Like, okay, what am I working for? What do I get if I actually do this? Because the frustration was setting in because it is so brutal. And I looked it up, and it's just a simple item. But then I also discovered that there's actually five phases to this secret boss. <laughs> and I'm barely managing to get to three. And I'm like, you know, I only have so much time. I appreciate yeah. the challenge. I appreciate the feeling of actually defeating this boss. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you make an attempt at that, Andre? Uh no I haven't um I need to go back and finish it but I've heard so many good things about the final boss oh you haven't the done final final boss that I want to check it out but just haven't had time to do that yet but I thought Octo expansion in general was really good mm-hmm. um I think I mean I think it's such a better campaign than the actual main campaign yeah this is yeah. what Splatoon three should base their campaign off of <laughs> yep, yeah absolutely. You, you kind of touched on something there, Derek, because I've been playing uh, Octopath Traveler recently, of course, and I'm really enjoying it. I really like the game, especially the music and the, and the visuals. Like, oh, man. But the longer I play it, the more I'm like, it is objectively worse than the Bravely games simply because they don't give you control over your experience with the game. I love that aspect of Bravely so much, and the fact that Octopath, in my opinion, kind of takes a step backward because... You can't control the random encounter rate. You can't control the speed of battles. I get that not every game has to have that, but those random encounters drag out. The so normal long. battles because enemies are HP sponges. Like even mm-hmm. minor enemies, because they scale to your level. Even minor enemies have so many HP sometimes, and it just makes even random battles feel too long. I just wish grinding was a little easier in that game. I fortunately, if I because you know, actually taking on these bosses and whatnot, and fleeing is a pain in the ass in that game. By the way, yes, it is. <laughs> um, but but you know, just going normally, fighting every any enemy I come across and all that stuff, I only had to grind. Actually, sit down and grind twice in that game, so that okay. wasn't too bad. Once I got to the post game, that's when the grinding really came out. But beforehand, I think as long as you have a good party makeup and know what you're doing, I think you can get through most of the challenges with very limited grinding. 
but oh, you'll I still have a can. ton of encounters. Yeah, and that's, that's a problem. See, because the encounter rate is so high, I find myself wanting to lean on, I think it's, uh, someone has a supportability. I oh, Cyrus. One. It's, yeah, Cyrus is supportability that lowers the random encounter rate, but if I do that, then naturally I'm going to be underleveled and, and, you know, need to grind later, but it really, I'm having a hard time with that random encounter rate, because as much as I enjoy the game, it's kind of weird the way your perspective changes when you get older and you have less time to do things, and it's like, you know, I'm sitting here with these five-minute random battles with these enemies who are, you know, the same strategies over and over again. They just have lots of HP, and it just it just gets tiring. Mm-hmm. You the know? saving but, grace but, is yeah. that no dungeon is that big. Like, that's true, and the rest of the game is so elegant and mm-hmm. so good. It's like, because and that, that demands that I stick with it, because I just want to see and hear everything the game has to offer, and I like the characters, and I like the stories. I just wish I could speed up the battles. Mm-hmm. How, how do you uh, I'm, how are you enjoying because I, I know that this is how you're playing it just coming coming back to it for a little bit of a time because I feel like that was the best way to play it from, from my experience with it definitely it, it is a it, Octopath Traveler is absolutely a game that benefits from that pick up and play kind of style where you pick it up maybe play for an hour or two or less and, and put it down um, I definitely have found that when I try to play it for really prolonged periods of time that's when that fatigue really sets in and, and, the, and the repetition sets in. And I, and I and I was thinking that as I was playing it because I felt so bad thinking how it must have been for you going through all eight chapter ones and just go, you know, like marathoning them because that oh, yeah. gets really repetitive. And oh, yeah. so it's definitely the kind of game that's better to, to play in short bursts. You, you can kind but, of... Oh, go ahead, Andre. That's just a good lesson to game developers i think to give us enough time with games yes <laughs> so we don't have to crumb you know so we don't have to cram it all into a small period because it's impossible to say whether or not that affected your perception of the game you know maybe it does feel you know, maybe that grindiness did influence your overall perspective when you wouldn't have normally played that way mm-hmm. yeah totally and i mean well, you saw my reactions when i was first going through that those opening chapters i'm like i don't know guys this game is feeling really repetitive i'm not sure about this yeah. and thankfully it did turn it around but mm-hmm. whew, if you go through all those chapter ones it's it, it gets rough it really yeah. does <laughs> well i will say i did get lucky and encounter two kates in a row that i defeated them both so i was able to gain like 10 levels in 5 oh, minutes i never was able to do characters. that i was so upset i, I always really ran for me right away <laughs> yeah well and and i the reason why though is i ch- I totally admit that I cheated. As soon as I encountered one, I'm like, oh, pausing. I'm going to look this up. What is the best foolproof way to beat these guys? <laughs> I see. I don't have a good. I didn't have that ability. I can't. I know. Do that. Totally. I admit it. I admit that I have the benefit of hindsight, but uh, or playing it after launch. But uh, no, I I read that if you use a medium level soul stone, like one of the items in battle, it does 11 damage every time, which is more than enough to kill uh, a Kate in one go. Crap. So I've been saving all those, stealing everything I can from every townsperson because they have so many of them, and I'm just hanging on to them for Kate's. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, it's not fair. <laughs> right, but oh well. All right, well let's go ahead and jump into our news topics for this week, and we're going to take care of a few things that happened last week as well. Some of the bigger things, and first of all, one of the bigger ones we were just talking about Octopath Traveler, but. We really can't understand how much of a success this is for Square Enix, as the physical version of the game is still sold out in stores in Tokyo. And even more recently, they just got a new shipment, and it immediately sold out. The game is selling gangbusters right now. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it really, I mean, I'm not surprised because, again, we've, we're talking about how great the game is, but this this game really just feels like it's resonated with a certain 
I don't know about a certain group of people who grew up in a certain era playing games. Like those of us who were there for that 16-bit golden era of JRPGs, this is a love letter to that era. So I think this game is really resonating with that kind of sect of gamers. And you can see that it's happening in Japan because you can't find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the fact that it resonated with me when I played the demo and at a preview event at all speaks to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not a JRPG point. guy, and I liked what I played. Mm-hmm. So, um, granted, I've been turned off a little bit by some of the reviews I've seen uh, with complaints I know would irritate me. Mm-hmm. So that's why I haven't dived into the full version. But I can absolutely see why it's appealing to such a broad demographic or such a broad you know, range of people or a lot of people, I should say. Um, because it's speaking to uh, a demographic that hasn't been spoken to in quite some time. Yeah, there's very few RPGs out there that just have traditional, like, random battles or just traditional uh, turn-based battles anymore. Like, RPGs have really stepped away from that and tried to do something new, so to actually go back to that classic feel is really cool. So I really hope that Dragon Quest XI gets the same kind of love, because it's that kind of game as well, just with newer graphics, and it's gorgeous. So please let Dragon Quest actually have some success for once. (laughs) <laughs> no, and that's a good point, because you really only see those kinds of old-school JRPGs on handheld platforms anymore. Very rarely do you see a big-budget, you know, full, high-definition JRPG on console. And so I think that's one reason, as you were kind of touching on, that Octopath Traveler has really resonated with so many people, just because you don't see that kind of game on console very much anymore. And again, like Dragon Quest XI, you don't see that games like that very much on console. So I really do hope DQ11 does well as, you know, too just so we can keep getting games like this. Yeah, it's like, come on, Square, come on, take notice here. I, and I do think the graphical style has a lot to do with that. It just it just yeah. immediately grabs your attention as being something just kind of new. Like, you haven't, you've never really seen it, anything like this before. No, and, it's 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 an awesome visual style they captured. It almost looks like, uh, uh, oh, God, what's it called? Like, tilt, tilt photography or um, where you make real-life locations look like models basically uh-huh. with the the focal point you use i think i don't know that's what that's what octopath looks like to me and it's a great visual style it's such a unique visual style mm-hmm. i'd literally all they need to do tilt shift tilt shift there oh, we go oh, okay yeah. literally all they need to do is either remake ff6 or make a sequel to ff6 in exactly this style and that would literally just print its own money i'm going to raise fist. you an ff6 uh with a super mario rpg too <laughs> I'll raise you both with the Chrono Trigger remake. I love how you said both and I didn't say anything. (laughs) Oh, good point. Yeah. So what what would you... I was going to say Chrono Trigger. I was like, come on. Let's get Chrono Trigger in in here. Yeah. Um... I actually, you know what? I don't know if that'd be if it would be a great style for Chrono Trigger, and maybe not more RPG either. Now that I think about it, because Final Fantasy, like this, definitely looks like a Final Fantasy title, right? Just yeah. with uh, some modern, like yeah, the characters themselves, like yeah. the style of pixel art is very. It's right it's, out of FF6, yeah, which is yeah. why whereas, I went there first. Whereas with Chrono Trigger, it felt like they were kind of trying to push into a more immersive style, like with these yeah. really fleshed out worlds. So I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll take Chrono Trigger too in whatever form it comes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, maybe it's not the best. Uh, best idea for it. But I think, you know what, now that I go back to it, I think Super Mario RPG 2 could work in this style because it would be a little bit evocative of the more recent Paper Mario styles, I think. So I think that could totally work. True, all right. Hmm. You just just want to see Gino come back in a new game. That's all Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It'd be be really cool. Like, I, I, I think Square is already realizing this whole focus on the Switch is kind of working out for them. Because uh, they, you know, they put out that new division, just focusing on it, and hey, Octopath's already a success, so keep it up, keep it coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. Um, in addition, to last week, uh, the Intercreate CEO 
actually stated that he would love to create a new adventure of Link for the modern era. Basically, he wants to, it, it almost sounds like he wants to remake uh, Adventures of Link, which has always been sort of the um, ugly duckling of the series and the same, <laughs> you know, just sort of there. But, in, you know, it's, it's got an appreciation over the years and people have seen it for what it, you know, the positives of it. And I do think a remake would really help Adventures of Link and... Anti creates is not a it's not a bad idea. I usually think of them when it comes to more fast paced platforming games, not uh, stuff like Adventures right. of Link, but it could still work. There there is a good game somewhere in, in Adventure of Link. I, I've I've played it. I have finished it multiple times. It is fun. There is a good game in there, but it is just dogged by so many of the problems that are kind of inherent to that era of gaming, like just a crushingly hard difficulty balance and. Just, you know, it's just not a very user-friendly game to play in general, but there's a good game in there, and I do feel like if it was remade with some more modern design sensibilities in mind, it could be, you know, it could be have serve as a nice reintroduction for a game that, as you said, kind of has, has served as the black sheep of the series for a while. Well, so here's my question is, what exactly does he mean, or what do you think he means when he refers to the adventure of Link's style? Um... Because there's a few different ways you could read into that. Does he mean the three, the quasi three D combined with two D, or sorry, the quasi three D overworld combined with two D battles, or does he mean the leveling up system combined with a more conventional, you know, Zelda style? I guess. What do you think he means by this? I always interpret it as the the overworld combined with two D like battle type thing. Okay. That. Yeah, I, I would say probably, in, I, in my estimation, he's probably referring to the 2D gameplay in terms of the action sequences, as well as the experience system, which we haven't really seen return in a Zelda game since then. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking how, I think, I, you know, I, I might regret this later, but I think an experience type of system could actually work really well for an open-air Breath of the Wild style game. Um, it would give yeah. you, I think, a potentially stronger sense of progression through the game, rather than just upgrading your weapons or, you know, finishing shrines right this would give you more incentive to finish to kill enemies you know making you stronger in the process right right hmm. potentially that that would be interesting but I, I don't hate this idea in fact i think it has a lot of potential because we've seen how remakes like this can improve games that were you know fine for the time but they have definitely aged pretty poorly such as well the original metroid and metroid 2 uh, Zero Mission and Samus Returns, or yeah, yeah, Samus Returns are fantastic. Like, you don't do not have to go back and play the originals. Play these versions instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's true. To have something like that for Zelda Two, yeah, I'd be down. Yeah, same here. Yeah, maybe they could make it in the style of Octopath Traveler. <laughs> there you go. That'd, <laughs> there, be, yeah. Yeah, that'd be kind of sweet, honestly. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking: has there ever been? Uh, there probably has, but has there ever been a uh, three, you know, a 3D overworld style game where the battles you engage in are 2D fighting game mechanic. Like, it's a 2D fighting game mechanic. So, like Zelda, but except it's like Street Fighter battles instead. Huh. Not Street Fighter, but there is something along the lines of what you're talking about, and that is the Tales of series, which okay. kind of has like right. this 2D beat-em-up style battle system in a way, where you right. chain uh, moves together. Okay, so it's been done. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Play the Tales of series, and it has some good stuff. <laughs> also very long games. Yeah, they're um, long. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing, interesting bit of an update on Nintendo Nintendo's uh, Switch Online uh, subscription, which ostensibly is coming soon in September. Still have not heard a lot about it, but they did confirm 
Well, it seems that way that the uh, free to any free to play games such as Fortnite, Paladins, what have you, uh, will not require a Switch Online subscription. You can still play them. You don't need to buy the subscription in order to keep playing Fortnite online on the Switch, which I think is a good idea. It's the way um, PlayStation handled it for a while. I think they still do. At least is on- this. Yeah, is this new news, though? But I thought we knew what games specifically were going to require it, and they were first-party Nintendo games, with a few exceptions. I thought third parties were always excluded from this. Well, well, not not I don't know if it's only third parties, though. I mean, it might specifically be free-to-play games from third parties. We don't really know. Yeah, it's Wait, never, the wording's never been exactly clear. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, because I... Like yeah. as soon as you said that, I was like, "What? Wait, I think I do remember this." Yeah, I feel like this is. I mean, I feel like this is a little bit more specific, but I don't think this is anything new. Maybe I'm off base here. Regardless, the, I mean, the point still stands, and that the free-to-play games will be free. Um, and I mean, that's good for consumers. For Nintendo, it's going to make it a harder sell to sell this online thing. Uh, now that Fortnite's out, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be pretty funny. More people are people are going to be like, "Well, yeah, all right, I don't pay for Splatoon. I'll just go play Fortnite instead." Oh and God! <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be more people play Fortnite now than Nintendo's own first party games, with it being a paid a pay to play service. Yeah. Well, especially because we're already seeing, you know, unfortunately, we're already seeing early signs of Nintendo maybe not being able to get it together because there's been this rash of uh, Splatoon two hackers that they literally have not been able to do anything about because of the way their online is set up. Well, they've been and banning them. They have been banning people playing Splatoon 2, evidently. Oh, well, I've been reading about a new rash of, of like, hacking that, like, even banning wasn't taking care of them. Like that, that they Oh, really? Were, yeah, that there was, oh, wow. like, some way they were getting into the game that they were able to hide their username and thus avoid being banned or something. I'd have to look up in, in the exact wording. But I had been reading that they were this, there was this new rash of hackers who were getting around the banning process. Hmm. And if that's if I'm right, I might even be off the mark about that. But if I if I'm not, then that doesn't bode well. I mean, we we need Smash Brothers Ultimates online to be good in order to justify paying for it. It, it can't be a, a repeat of Smash 4s. And, you know, w- with these free to play games already showcasing competent online gameplay on the Switch like Fortnite, Nintendo really does have to bring their A game with this paid online service. And if they don't, I, I could see a scenario with what you're talking about, Andre, which, you know, with people not being convinced to pay for it. Right. Yeah, that's the, I think that's still the big question is how the heck are they going to try to sell this online service? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, like the NES games having multiplayer, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't sell the whole thing. And yeah, do you have the family plan that you can make work to get a nice, cheap idea, but... I don't. I unless I. I'm not, I'm not seeing the major addition that makes me want to get it outside of the fact that sure I'll get it just for you know because I need to. <laughs> I mean the major yeah. addition is cloud saving, but again that's like insurance. It's not something you get excited for. It's just yeah, there exactly. if you need it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean I think um, uh, Nintendo's previous president or is he still current president? No. It, no it's we have a new one off. now, right? Yeah. Okay, no, there's yeah. a new one. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I knew there was a new one. I wasn't sure if he had taken over yet. Um, The previous one had said uh, that, I think, to stay tuned or something, they had... I mean, it sounded like there was more to come in terms of Nintendo Online. We'll see. I hope there is, because it isn't that exciting. I guess a greater concern is... I mean, I... I, You know, I said before, I think... uh, I don't think it's an unreasonable deal. It's just not an exciting one. But my concern is, as one who plays games online periodically, is will this affect the user base? Will there be less people to find in Mario Kart or... Splatoon or Smash Brothers, like that could be a problem if people aren't subscribing to this thing, and it creates a smaller user user base in which to play games with. Particularly with, um, you know, perhaps smaller titles that they're affected by this. Mm-hmm. 
True. So, on the other yeah. hand, in a very sad way, less people on Mario Kart means less communication errors. <laughs> so maybe it would actually, in some messed up reverse way, it would actually make the experience better. Oh yeah, when you're gosh. playing just one-on-one Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, sure. But we'll see how it all comes out. I'm not sure. I'm tentative, like very tentative about this one. But yay for those that are free to play, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Well, speaking of NES, though... Uh, maybe, maybe they, who knows? Maybe that is a good selling point for it because the NES Classic has topped the hardware sales char- charts for June of 20, uh, 2018. And um, so, despite not really advertising that the NES Classic was getting restocked, other than just, hey, we're doing it, and here's the date, it, it beat out every other system. And it makes sense considering people missed out on getting it the first time, and uh, including myself, so I made sure to pick it up this time. So I'm, I'm actually surprised that. by this. I, I thought it might have been a fad. Like I thought it might have been the hot product for a season, and then that's it. It's over with. You know, the hype's gone. Who yeah. cares? You missed it. And evidently that wasn't the case, which is cool to see. Like it's nice that it has staying power, and people actually are excited for this as a as a platform. And with it being the, the top selling console for the month, I mean that's just ridiculous. I think. <laughs> I mean, granted, there wasn't a ton of competition. I think in terms of games for the other platforms, right. but still, that's a that's a worthwhile achievement. For a well, console yeah. that's 30 years old, effective, you know, effectively. I mean, yeah, this is a, this is essentially a console that does not have things like online play. It doesn't have Fortnite. It doesn't have so many of the modern conveniences we've come to, or you know, modern games conveniences, whatever that we have come to see as essential. The controller in length gaming. sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's but God, yeah. it's but that's just I guess speaks to the staying power of the NES in general, and and that you know, good games will always be good games. Why isn't this thing available year-round? Like, why is it such a commodity? Um, I think it's, it's supposed to be now. I think Nintendo has until the end of the to year. keep it in stock through the end of the year. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I was almost wondering, like, is it the kind of thing they just push out when they need to, like, bump up their dollar figures or a quarter <laughs> yeah. or something? Yeah. It's like, oh, crap, guys, we need, like, a few more few more million dollars to oh, appease like, the shareholders. It, so it's the Disney vault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back right. in the yeah. Nintendo vault until we need some cash again. So there you go. Um Honestly, Where is my N64 classic? I was just about that's, to say. Yep. Well, you know that's got to be coming soon, or the next classic announcement has to be coming soon, and I would imagine that with the NES Classic performing this well, this just underscores their approach to continuing this line of classic systems in lieu of a virtual console type well, thing for the Switch, because they're making money hand over fist on the classic. Do you think it's coming soon, though? Because I think by this point uh, in the past couple of years, that's when we'd already known about the current that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You'd think it would have to be though. Like there, there's no way they're going to stop at SNES. Yeah, there's I mean, no I way. guess the question is, is it this year though, or will they yeah. hold off for another yeah. year and just rise it's so weird, weird that they Super missed Nintendo. this year. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, that is the kind of thing though that I could see getting announced, you know, as a surprise in an upcoming direct or something. Yeah. Particularly um, if they release it later in the year, like if it's a December. Oh year, yeah, if it's like actually a holiday December. release, right? Oh god, yeah, <laughs> trying to get it during the holidays would be. A- oh my god, it would be it would be like 1996 all over again. <laughs> Jeez, we can have the return of N64 Kid. <laughs> yes. Oh man, that yeah, I remember that now. Except it's gonna be like 30 year old men, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Unboxing it. Oh god. Um, actually, you know, I'm gonna repeat. I, I'm gonna. I'm calling it right now, or I, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dibsing it. I'm making that video. So no one else, no one else steal that idea. If there's an N64 classic, I'm going to be uh, N64 adult. So <laughs> nice, perfect. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> we'll, I might. 
I'm still very really unsure if they'll, they'll show it or not. I mean, everybody sort of thinks that a new direct has to happen either later this month or next month. So maybe it'll get get announced then. Maybe. I don't know. At, at this point, I'm leaning toward it not happening this year. I, I think there's a direct happening this month, but I don't think we're going to get it at 64, at 64 in it. Okay. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what else is not being included? That's a terrible segue, but I'm going to go with it. Um, a lot of people are upset about this little tidbit. So the Spyro Reignited Trilogy physical version only comes with the first game on the disc. The second and third games must be downloaded. And granted, this is on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I don't. Yeah. This is a practice that I'm used to on the Switch because, granted, it's a, it's a the, the cartridges only have so much space, especially when they have to spend more money to have more space on it. So it makes sense for them to go this route for the uh, Switch. I don't get it for the PlayStation. I don't have a lot of extra room on my PlayStation because games in general take up so They're much freaking space. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is some nonsense. I don't know why yeah. they would. I mean, there's obviously all three games can fit on one disc. It did for Crash on PS4. Yeah, it, ha- there's- it has to be development related. Like they must have been able yeah. only be able to fully wrap up the first one before they had to start printing these copies out. And yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate because I, I play my roommate's PS4 and um, and his hard drive's totally full. So every time I want to download a new game on it, I have to like hit him up. I'm like, hey, dude, do you mind if I delete your you know Final Fantasy 15 file or something? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and these games aren't small. Like, the Crash Bandicoot games, I think, wasn't that, like, what, 20 gigs to install or something? Or maybe even bigger than that? Something? Um, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember what it was on the Switch, but, yeah, it's it's not... Well, it was smaller on Switch, too, I think. It was bigger on PS4. Right. Well, you know, this isn't Mm. even the most recent egregious example of this happening. Like, this Capcom just did this as well with the Mega Man X Legacy Collections 1 and 2, where... Uh, if you buy the physical version for Switch or any other console, PS4, Xbox as well, you get the first game, or the first collection physical, but the second collection is digital. And it's like, these, there's no way Mega Man X5 through X8 don't fit on the same disc as X1 through X4. They're, they're retro 2D platformers with the exception of like the last couple of games, which still aren't, I mean, X7 is pretty much trash and it doesn't, it's not like it has crazy assets. And then X8 by itself isn't going to be that much, so... I don't get why this keeps happening. I don't. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because these consoles, their their hard drives get filled up so quickly. Like I have an original PlayStation Four; it's only five hundred gigs. I'm I think that's how much it is. I don't know. I can't even remember. I do want to upgrade to a PS4 Pro this year once I get a new, better TV, so I'll have more space that way. But it's just still like I'm losing so much space. I don't like buying digitally on PlayStation 4 because it does take up so much space. But then I get a physical version and I still have these massive downloads I have to deal with. So it's almost like for these consoles, what's the point of discs? Like, I want to collect them. I like having it on my shelf, but it's almost a waste of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what I'm going to do for Spyro because it's nice box art. It looks good, but it doesn't have the entire series and it's... Like what the what's the point? So I'm not yeah I'm not sure what I want to do there because I'm so like everything else about these games have looked fantastic. This is the first major misstep, and I'm like, guys, you're so close, you're doing so <laughs> yeah. well. It, yeah, but as Andre said, it has to be development related because yeah. no, nothing else makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not more expensive to print on to print a few more gigabytes onto your Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ugh. Sucks. <laughs> I'm, yep. I'm just upset. 
<laughs> well, let's see if some topics can imp- improve my mood. My, my mood. My mood. My mood. Apparently not. It's broken <laughs> I can't even talk. I'm so upset I can't even talk. Damn you, Activision. <laughs> but yes, let's get to our Patreon topics. And for just $1 a month, you guys can support us on Patreon. Get these podcasts three days early every Friday. That's especially true this week. As well as offer up topics like these and get access to our VIP room in our Discord. So uh, yeah, Andre, why don't you start us off with your uh, topic? All right, so this one comes to us by way of James Gregson, who asks, Do you, do you guys miss instruction books? I certainly do, and I was especially sad when I found out Nintendo Switch games didn't have a, even a digital manual at all. The first thing I did when I got a new 3DS or Wii U game was look at the digital manual in detail. The best manuals I can think of are the WarioWare games. I got WarioWare DIY about six months before I got a Nintendo DS, and I read the manual cover to cover numerous times. It was a fad one. I still enjoyed looking at it today. I suppose we get that same. Uh, I suppose we get that single ma- page manual on the reverse side of some Switch game cover sleeves, but that's lame. Sad face emoticon. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I guess um, in a practical sense, I miss it because it was useful for, for looking up things. Um, and it is, it, like, there have been times where I've been annoyed on Switch with the fact there isn't an instruction book at all. They just throw you into the game, and you better hope the game teaches you what you need to know because there's no way to look it up. Um, particularly as a reviewer, because we're playing these games before they're available. So you can't go on GameFAQs and look up how to do something or, you know, even basic stuff about the game. Uh, if the game doesn't teach you it yourself or if you miss that lesson, you're kind of, you're kind of screwed. Um, so yeah, I do miss it in that sense. Uh, and I do definitely have fond memories as a kid. Like, I think one of my favorite things, uh, or maybe not my favorite thing, but I remember, like, when you picked up a game at a store and you were driving home, and I would just tear in the instruction book, and it acted almost as, like, a trailer for the game itself. <laughs> Give you, like, a sneak peek of what, of what awaited you uh, when you finally plugged in that cartridge. Um, however, these days, like, I find myself, um... You know, with games that do have instruction manuals, or when or when we're playing games that uh, that have instruction manuals, um, like maybe on Virtual Console, for instance, I actually avoid it now because I don't like. I found that quite often those game those instruction manuals really tell you everything about the game. They tell you the main mechanics. Quite often, they'll walk you through like uh, some of them even like tell you up you know things about the final world or mechanics in the final world. So as one who's uh, like who revisits old games I might have missed before, I try to avoid that now, but I don't want spoilers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, so on the one hand, I miss it in a practical sense, um, when it can be useful, but in general, like, while I have fond memories of it, I don't know if I really miss it that much these days, particularly when I think I've grown more spoiler conscious as I've grown older, and I like going into things as fresh as possible, but it does, it does annoy me now every now and then when I need to know something, and there's no easy way to access that information. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing because you are right. They, they did reveal all, an awful lot in those old days, but it was so exciting. Like I had that same experience. You bought the game, you tore open that manual, and you read as much as you could to learn about the game and get yourself ready for what lies ahead when you got home. Uh, it was really cool, but I, I don't do that anymore, and I don't even I didn't even look at the digital manuals on Wii U or 3DS. I just never bothered. <laughs> well, it was because it took forever to load them up. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true too. That, yeah. that too. But I also think that manual design is kind of a lost art. They're just sort of basic, like, here's what you do. No no, no real flair or anything like that. But when you look, I still have all my old NES uh, instruction manuals. don't have the boxes, but I always made sure to keep the manuals. And I love the little bit of artwork in there. That's how you got a lot of the stories sometimes. Like, it, it felt like a, necess- a necessity back in those days. And it really did, like serve as like like you said a trailer like here's the uh, systems you can expect here's how to do handle them and there you go go for it and i really miss those 
those days, but modern games, I don't think they have that flair or style anymore, and it just doesn't work. So, I, I, in, in some senses, I miss it, but I also don't think they can recapture that magic of the old days. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. I miss the early days of manuals. I don't miss more recent manuals. Like because at some point, like somewhere in the PS1, PS2 days. They, they started cheaping out on manuals, and they went for, like, all black and white print, and that was always kind of disappointing. And that was always a huge factor for me between in the Super Nintendo versus Genesis debate, because Super Nintendo always had full-color manuals. Yeah. For the first, I think for every major game. or I think it did, yeah. Yeah, whereas mm-hmm. Genesis, to my memory, they were all black and white, even I think the first-party ones. I think so. yeah. They were. So there was always black and white on, on Genesis, and then, like, then they kind of all just started going in that direction, kind of in the 32-bit era, from what I recall, and then beyond that they just kind of went digital and I, I like you guys i i pretty much avoid digital manuals there's just it doesn't have the same kind of magic but right. back in the day man that was like derek said that was the only way you got some story for certain nes games like there and mega man's a great example you don't get a lot of story in the first three mega man games or so but if you read the instruction manual you know everything you need to know about why Mega Man's doing what he's doing. You mean you're fighting Monster so Land much or cool whatever? <laughs> oh, God, Mega Man 1, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's funny, because, like, Mega Man 3, technically every stage takes place on a different planet, and Mega Man's going around collecting elements from these different planets to help Dr. Light construct this giant peacekeeping robot. You would never know that <laughs> no. if you just play the game. You'd it's never know. Yeah, there's just no way to know that. I always forget but that element. The, <laughs> Yeah, but the instruction manual gave you that, and it just it used to give you things that you couldn't find within the games themselves. I mean, Birdo is a perfectly infamous example from the Mario Two manual. Right. You know, we found out stuff about Birdo we never would have found out <laughs> within the game itself. So, I miss that. I miss when instruction booklets felt like they were an addendum, like an add-on to yeah. the game, and not just, "Hey, here's how you play this game." No, that's a fantastic point because yeah, it, they weren't just instructions. Like they they told a story. Literally, they augmented the gameplay experience. And sometimes you will get really weird things too, where uh, like it made you wonder if if it actually is canon. Like in the original Super Mario Brothers, how all the bricks were Mario was breaking were uh, yeah. were, were Mushroom <laughs> Kingdom or were citizens turned into bricks or toads. Exactly. Yeah. You're like just destroying these. These Toad characters, or and even in a more recent example, relatively uh, or comparatively, um, in Perfect Dark, it had this whole weird backstory. Not even hit that in the game at all. Oh, right. With how like cows started going missing, I think in the world. It's like <laughs> uh, what? They oh, talk they were about setting this in the up game? for the alien subplot. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. You know what I will say though, I will give Nintendo credit for bringing a version of this back with their marketing for Splatoon 2 because before it came out the way that they kind of had that meta element where they they used the Splatfest from Splatoon 1 to directly inform some of the story for Splatoon 2 and of course it's not exactly the same thing, but I feel like these manuals that did add on to the world and the characters of of each of these games that they came with that was kind of like the proto version of that. And and so Nintendo brought a version of that back with the way they kind of use the Splatfest, like real-world events, to inform their in-game story. Well, they also had those little stories about like what was happening with Callie and Marie. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are great. Yeah, the Squid Sister stories. Those were so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I miss them, but I also don't think they can capture that same magic. I just, I'm looking at the modern games, I'm like, I can't imagine stuff like that for God of War, for example. Like, they're not going to yeah. do that. It's actually yeah, exactly. a perfect opportunity, and in fact, I'm sure it's been done for like for indie games to capitalize on that, like games that go for the gameplay style and visual style of like the older games that don't fully flush out everything within the game itself. Mm-hmm. That could be a cool opportunity, 
in fact, you know would be kind of cool is if there were a game that uh, that had more direct integration with the instruction manual, um, kind of in the vein of like looking at the back of the case from Metal Gear Solid, or also um, uh, that oh, what's a Nintendo game where you need to you oh, had to Star dip Tropics? in the water. Yeah, Star Tropics. Oh yeah. Like, what, it, wouldn't it be kind of cool if like a game like presented you with an instruction manual and unbeknownst to you, it actually tied like it was. I don't know, maybe some kind of like sacred artifact that played into the game that, mm-hmm. that you had to go back and forth between the digital manual and the in-game world to to solve these puzzles. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. And, and yeah. yeah, like you brought up, we saw a kind of a version of that in Metal Gear Solid. I think, yeah, if they brought something like that back, that would be really cool. I agree. Mm-hmm. I mm, The closest I can think of is Nino Kuni on PlayStation 3, the original one. Uh, there's this book that you filled out in, in the game, but it also, if you got the special edition, which I did, you actually got a physical version of that book, and it has all the same information, which I thought was really cool. I don't know. It's just not a minor thing. doesn't really tie in, but you can also look up certain things more easily, like you have the book next to you. So mm-hmm. there, there's elements every so often where you get that, but otherwise, yeah, I can't, I can't see that. I can't see um, <laughs> any modern game like... So, like, here's cartoonish versions of these characters doing their things that you can do. Because like, they always showed, like, here's Mario jumping. Here's Mario throwing a fireball. Here's Mario using the raccoon suit type thing. <laughs> I think we should go back to the Earthbound style of, of game production, where each game just comes with its own fully full-length, beautiful strategy guide that you can just a, enjoy as you play the game. That, a giant that, box. I know, right? <laughs> like, looking back, that was really, really unique and unusual for that time that they even did that. Well, and, and not just that, yeah. it wasn't just an instruction, or it wasn't just like a, a guidebook or a really elaborate instruction manual. They went all out. They yeah. presented it as like a travel guide to this it was world. So, like, still one of the very best strategy guides of all time. And it had those scratch and sniff stickers or exactly. uh, cards. <laughs> yeah. Master Belch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, what about your topic this week, Ash? All right. My topic this week comes from Jermaine Benton, who says, Huge fan of GX. Thank you for that. I've been listening since podcast episode one. Oh, wow. My topic is related to video game cutscenes and skipping them. My boyfriend completely bypasses most cutscenes and sometimes even turns music on while the scenes are playing. Personally, I think that's playing the games wrong. Do you guys know anyone who plays games similarly, and how do I convince my boyfriend that cutscenes are important? Thank you, Jermaine. So, Jermaine, thank you for the question, and also thank you for listening since podcast episode one. Wow. Yeah, it's a long yeah. time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is, this is funny cause I, I totally get what you're saying and I don't know. And I used to know people who did that. I don't really know anyone else, anyone now who does that, but I totally hear you. And every time I, I hear, or I talk to someone who says like, oh yeah, you know, I, I just turn off the music in a game and I'll play my own music. And that's just, that makes me itch. That just, <laughs> it, 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 it sparks this fire in me that I just, it makes me angry to hear that at the same time. I don't think anybody should be deciding what the right or wrong way for other people to play games is. I totally agree with you, Jermaine. I cannot stand it when people turn off the music and listen to their own music or skip cutscenes. Well, at least their first time through a game. Personally, that drives me crazy, but it's also not my place to tell them that they're wrong for that. So I don't know if I can say that there's a way that you can convince your boyfriend that cutscenes are important, because if... If he's playing games not for the story, but just to, you know, unwind and have a good time, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not necessarily wrong. It's just not the way that we choose to play certain kinds of games. But I do feel your pain because I just, I feel like I age a year 
every time someone says, oh, yeah, I'd turn off the game music and just play my own whatever. I'm like, no, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> what about you guys? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. Like, I'm, I'm definitely that way with music. Um, I think music is such an intrinsic part of the gameplay experience, uh, generally, unless it's just really annoying or bad. But in, if that's the case, I'll usually just turn the game off rather than right. unless you're playing Yoshi's it. New Island. Yeah, and I feel like I feel, and I feel the same. Yeah, God, Jesus. I mean, well, that's that's the kind of game I would just turn off. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I think I feel the same way about cutscenes as well. Uh, at least for the first time through the game. Yeah. On subsequent playthroughs, uh, then yeah, I mean, feel free to skip them. I mean, feel free, feel free to skip them, you know, regardless. But for me personally, yeah, I'm going to watch them the first time through. Unless it's just, like, really heinous or it's a story I don't care about at all. And just yeah. wanted to get to the gameplay. But again, I, I mean, I can't think offhand of any examples. Because generally I am going to want to watch a cutscene. Like, if it's a game I'm invested in, I'm going to want to watch the cutscenes, right? Right. So, yeah. So I think for me, like, really everything's kind of kind of just uh, an essential part of the whole experience as a whole. And I couldn't see myself, like, skipping them or turning it down. Um, like, as a kid, my friends who used to turn off the music and listen to their own music annoyed me. I'm like, what are you oh. doing? You're missing out on, like, <laughs> the on worst. The, yeah, a key part yeah. of the game. Yeah. I mean, it almost feels, it's, it may sound a little silly, it almost feels disrespectful to me. But at the same time, it's not as if any player of any game owes the composer of a game their respect. Like, obviously... You can do whatever you want, but that's just how I personally feel about it. And I'm just like, why wouldn't you want to experience every facet of the game the way it's intended to be experienced? It, I'm just gonna throw time. it out there. If you, oh, sorry, well, real quick, if you turn, if you play Tropical Freeze with music turned down, you are a monster. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I mean, and and the same could be said for so many games. You played Chrono Trigger with the sound turned off. You're a monster. You know, it's just like. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, it also, I'm not the gatekeeper on how people should play their games. Yep. And as sure. long as, no, you know, nobody's it's fine telling to be me monster. I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> if, they, if, you, if your boyfriend wants to be a monster, that's totally fine for me. No. But, uh, no, it's like, I, I totally have a very, very definite idea in my head of how games should be played, and that's what I do. But, again, it's not really up to any of us to decide how other people should consume their entertainment, which is pretty much how I feel about mm. it. I pretty much echo you guys. I really have nothing to add there because it is like I, I can't see skipping a cutscene. Not really my style. I like to hear see the stories or get the context or whatever might happen. Like it's I can just imagine skipping certain cutscenes and be like, Okay, how the heck am I here? Or like what just happened that I'm in this place now? That makes no sense. Okay then. Um then you find out later you're actually visiting different worlds in every stage. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, I don't even know why. I mean, obviously, Jermaine, your boyfriend, can play however they want, but I don't know why you'd want to play a story-heavy game and skip the cutscenes. I feel like that would directly impact the context of the gameplay in a negative way. Like, why am I doing all this? I Like, I can't imagine playing an Uncharted game and skipping all the cutscenes. Like... Why would you because do that? Those are arguably the best part, oftentimes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. But either way, though, like, why would you do that? You're literally cutting out half the game and and rendering the gameplay elements con like free of context. Mm. So I, I feel like that would make the gameplay experience worse. So like, why would you ever do that? But at the same time, you know, yeah. I guess some people are just that opposed to cutscenes. I mean, I, I do, I do kind of get it. Like again, I personally wouldn't in most cases. Again, there might maybe there are exceptions that I just can't remember right now. But one that does come to mind um, that I still watch the cutscenes for, but I can kind of see why people would skip them would be Metal Gear Solid Four. Oh, like, no, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that's the one. It's like okay, I can kind of see it. I mean, I think you are 
kind of, I, I think you are losing a lot of context if you do that. At the same time, it's a Metal Gear game. How much context are you really losing? <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, the fact is, like, um, I mean, that's a game where the cutscenes really just went on and on oh, and God. on. Yes. One of them was, I think one of them was over an hour or approached it. Like, it was effectively an hour. And that is really ridiculous. And also, if I remember correctly, I think there were some cutscenes you couldn't even skip in that game. Because or for a while, but like I think it was loading all the the next chapter. Yes. Yes. So oh my god. So I mean I kind of understand the mentality in some cases, because I mean I I really do think it, I mean a lot of it is too about pacing. So I mean I understand it in some cases, but again if you're kind of enjoying the experience, you are I think kind of cheating yourself out of the full, the 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 whole the holistic view of the game by mm-hmm. doing so, and you might be missing something that you can't get back really at least on your right. first playthrough. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know if this is still true. This is only true as of 2013, but at one point, Metal Gear Solid 4 held two world records in the Guinness Book of World Records for longest cutscene in a video game at 27 minutes. That's the longest individual cutscene and longest cutscene sequence in a video game at 71 minutes. So yeah, okay, I was yes. going to say, there's no way. I was <laughs> like, there's no hour. way. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no way the longest one's only half an hour or half an hour in the game. Yeah, no, yeah. over an hour, which I think is the ending. I do remember the ending. Oh, it I took a while. I remember beating MGS4 like at 2 or 3 in the morning thinking, okay, well, damn, I'm going to watch the ending and go to bed. And I didn't go to bed until like 5. <laughs> okay, like, I still remember, yeah. no spoilers, I still remember like uh, I, at one point during the ending, I'm like, oh, that was really well done. Fantastic, great. Then went on for another half an hour. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You had a perfect cutoff point right there. And uh, you kept yeah. going. It was like... um. It, uh, it was like AI in game form, where they could have ended it at an earlier point, and they kept on going. Yeah. Oh, man, I was thinking Harry Potter. I still think the last Harry Potter movie should have ended with, and the cliff scene with them holding hands, and then everything after that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Or Toy Story 3, how it should have ended at the incinerator. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, how, how could you? How could you? Have you seen, have you seen that YouTube video where some, some kid, yeah, some kid cut it to end right at that point and showed it to so the rest good. of his family without them uh, knowing about it? Oh, no. And they're just like... And they just break down. They're like, why would you? Why did the movie end there? It's so sad. <laughs> it's so good. It's hilarious. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I I still remember like kind of related to this. Um, did you guys ever have those moments where, like, you're getting called away or you have to use the bathroom really bad or something like that, and you're in the middle of a cutscene. You're like, crap. I need. I want to pause this. I want to stop the cutscene. But I'm afraid if I hit start, I'm going to actually skip the cutscene. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, what do yeah. I do? <laughs> like, and the, the, home bu- the home button these days is a saving oh, grace. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I remember back in the day, I'd be like, I think I can pause pushing it, skip the cutscene. No! <laughs> and there, there's something that, that reminds me of that. It's, it's not the same thing, but it's a similar annoyance that some games will will use the opening cutscene as like the demo reel. If you just like, you know, let if you don't go straight to the title screen right. or if you let the title screen just hang for a bit, it'll start playing something. But you never know if what you're watching is unique to that, you know, kind of demo reel or if you're watching the opening. So there are games where you'll watch that whole thing and then you'll start the game and then you just watch the same thing again. Yeah. And that always drove me crazy. Yeah, as a very kind of like unrelated note, I always love games that just kind of just throw you right into it on your first boot up. I think Breath of the Wild did this. Um, yes. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. no like, there's no file select screen or anything. No tile screen, it just throws you right into it. And I love that. It just makes it feel, I don't know, a little bit more uh, cinematic, I suppose, or immersive, maybe. Mm-hmm. I just like that you your first experience with the game isn't the menu. It's literally yeah. the gameplay experience. Yeah. Um, or, or the cutscene that leads into it. So I think Flower is like that as well. Yeah, Flower totally Journey. Uh, yeah. Flower, God Flower of War does it as well. Like, there's a little menu that you can change a few of the options, but as soon as you hit start, it's just like, here's the cutscene. Like, here's, yeah. here you're starting. 
So, right. yeah, it's 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 interesting. And as far as music, I I usually listen to the music until I get to a grinding phase. Then I'll turn on podcast or other music just because I'm like, okay, sure. th- I like this music, but it can only go so far. Oh, okay, <laughs> no, that that's, makes no, that's, perfect sense. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a great point. Like, there have been times where I'm making, like, really repetitive videos or something where I'm not even listening to the game at all anymore. Like, I'm on, the, I'm on autopilot. I'm listening to podcasts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly exceptions. I, I'm speaking mostly from at least your first time through oh, yeah. a game. Yeah, I think you should exp- – I mean – for me, I would recommend people experience it as it was intended to be experienced primarily with the cutscenes intact and the music playing. Um, yeah, beyond that, you can you know do whatever. But like even with games like Mario Kart Online, where I've heard these songs you know, or these tracks hundreds and hundreds of times, I still keep them on as I'm playing Mario Kart uh, you know, online. Like I still want to hear that whole experience for these tracks. I still remember the first time I played Super Mario World to completion. I was at a friend's place, and the entire time he had... Um, the Gangster's Paradise album going the entire <laughs> oh, wow, time on repeat. Oh, God. Man. So You know what? I did, I did think of one kind of cool thing, actually. <laughs> so one of my friends, uh, he he turned down the music in Shadows of the Empire, uh, particularly during the um, the asteroid scene, mm-hmm. in order to put on the official Star Wars soundtrack, <laughs> which had the orchestrated version of that same song, and it was amazing. That's, so, that's awesome. I know I, I did something... Good. Kind of similar because when I was a kid and grinding in Pokemon, I would put on the "To Be a Master" or Pokemon the First Movie <laughs> nice. soundtrack and listen to those songs. Yeah, Never I've mind. done I've done a version of that when I was uh, doing some grinding. I believe in Eternal Sonata, a JRPG for the Xbox 360. There was so much grinding to be done in this like special dungeon that I just put on different RPG music, <laughs> like a, like nice. a like all this different RPG battle music that wasn't from that game. <laughs> See, I thought <laughs> you were going to say you're going to put on the actual Chopin <laughs> or Chopin. <laughs> no, I, I know, right? That even better. Chopin. But uh, but I, I did have a friend once who would he would play games and turn down the music to to replace it with Grand Theft Auto music, and he would always say, "Well." I'm still listening to game music, so it shouldn't matter. And I'm like, licensed soundtracks don't count. Like, don't <laughs> don't mess with me, man. Like, licensed soundtracks do not count as like specifically like true video game music. Come on. Yeah, mm. they. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And in fact, there was a time when games of that caliber kind of encouraged you to listen to your own, whether it was on yeah. on the Xbox or even some some Wii games supported it too. We could drop in your own soundtracks. Oh, your own Excite MP3 Truck files. needed it because that music Excite- was awful. <laughs> You know what? All right, oh, I'm gonna come out. I actually liked some of those tracks in that game. So oh, man, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have not played Excite Truck. I need to go listen to some. Oh, some of the music. you missed a fantastic game. I heard. They I heard had, it was quite good. The, the, the game's good. The they had a song on Smash Brawl. I'm like, oh god, this song is. I awful. do remember that. The song was terrible. I do remember that one song. I didn't like it. Even uh, also Excitebots, uh, a surprisingly good pseudo spiritual sequel. So I've heard that one's good. I've not and did not play that one. No one played it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, I might think be the only I, one. I think there was. I, I just felt like there was zero chance that that was going to turn out to be any good. And apparently it was somehow. But uh, it didn't seem like it. Just looking at it and, well, and looking well, at the because concept. right because I mean by, when they were showing off this game for the first time, we had just seen trailers for MotorStorm, which looked amazing visually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, particularly because there were CG cutscenes. Even in game, it looked way better, though. Yeah. But yeah, those looked amazing. You'd see this, like, 480p, like, kind of old-school-looking arcade racers. Like, what is this in Excitetruck? But it was a fantastic gameplay experience. Mm-hmm. That, that did some unique things, like the uh, the terrain that would shift in real time. Um, these kind of just ridiculous, uh, like, uh, jumps you could get. Oh yeah, and it, part- and it wasn't even really a pure racing game because it wasn't just about winning first, although that helped. It was about whoever got the most points. 
Um, it reminds me a little bit more of a more recent title, Onrush, which I've been playing on PS4, where it's not about winning in that game either. It's about, uh, it's about uh, accumulating points in order to win. So mm-hmm. Okay. I got yeah. stupid good at Excite Truck's motion controls. <laughs> I was so used yeah, to it nice. by the end. It of worked. That. It worked really well in yeah, that game. Yeah, it did. It, it felt you know really you, good. <laughs> you know what else felt really good? Using the plastic Wii wheel in Excitebots? I, I did not use that. <laughs> so good. I did not use that. I never used that for any like Mario. Oh, Kart I love the Wii Wheel. I, I love I it. I hated it. It, it seemed like a me. point. It seemed or so pointless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it feels so good. I love pressing the uh, the giant button on the back to shoot weapons in Mario Kart. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I think the lack of having the wheel connected to anything just never made it feel natural to me. Actually, I take it back. I don't think you, shot, you pressed it to shoot weapons. I think it was power slide. Whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I actually thought I made it more comfortable because I think yeah. holding the Wii Remote sideways as an NES controller wasn't that comfortable. True. Don't get me wrong. The Wii, the Wii Wheel wasn't like amazingly comfortable or anything, but it made it, it gave you a better grip on it. Um, then I, I guess you could use a pro controller too, right? So maybe that's how you play Dash. Or... Oh, if we're, if we're specifically talking about Mario Kart Wii, I played with the Wii Remote Nunchuck. Oh, sorry, the Waybird? No, no, the, the, if we're talking about Mario Kart Wii specifically, instead of the Wii Wheel, I use the Wii Remote and Nunchuck combination. Uh, you literally keep breaking... This, I, I, Scratch <laughs> does not want to work for this. You literally keep breaking up as you're about to say what controller you use. Really? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. now you just broke up. Weird, okay. Weird, I, yeah. I, that's great. Well, what I was saying was, if we're talking about Mario Kart Wii specifically, I use the Wii Remote and Nunchuck combination. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Now, that's see, why. Now, 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 that's weird to me. Really? I, that's the only way I could play. It felt so natural to me for that. I, not that I liked Mario Kart Wii much anyway, but when I was playing it, that was the one, that was the the control scheme I used. Uh, I've got a soft spot for Mario Kart Wii. It's not yeah. perfect, but I liked it. I thought, I mean, I, I, I think for me, I mean, legitimately the motion controls enhanced my gameplay time or enhanced my experience of the game. I thought it was actually just a really fun um, way to play. Do I want to keep using that these days? Probably not. At the time, though, I thought it was pretty novel. I Fair never enough. played Wii or 7. I skipped both those games. <laughs> Personally, I don't think you missed anything with Wii. It was like my least favorite Mario Kart, except for like Super Circuit. But, you know, beyond that. How dare you even mention them in the same breath? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Super Circuit is definitely way worse, but I would say Mario Kart Wii is is easily the like the lowest of the like the rest of them that aren't Super Circuit. I would say I would say it's better than 64. I think it definitely. I mean, even objectively speaking, I think 64 doesn't hold up at all. I remember yeah. the first time I, like everybody, I remember for years everybody talking up 64 and then it finally came to the virtual console on Wii and I picked it, I started playing it and I'm like, this is fine. The it's newer rough. ones are better. It's yeah, it hasn't aged to. well. That's a good point. Yeah. It hasn't, I think, I think part of the problem with Wii was that at the time it felt like the least impressive, like there, there was no visual jump or, or yeah. any major I game. I can see like, that, for You sure. went from Double Dash, which was new and unique gameplay-wise and was a huge visual jump over 64 and Super Circuit, obviously, to Wii, which was, it didn't really introduce anything that compelling, in my opinion, gameplay-wise, and the graphics were barely improved. So, I mean, okay, I can Dash. I see that vantage point, but you're forgetting there was DS in between the two, so... That's my favorite Mario Kart, though, or or my second favorite. It was, right. it was so, I mean, it's, yeah. So visually, though, that was also a downgrade from Double Dash. Which Not the handheld, though. Like, that, sure, I didn't care, but, though, I mean, it was, <laughs> It's still a downgrade. Well, yeah, it was, but I don't think it bothered me in that sense because I knew what I was getting into with the yeah. DS. It was like, you know, N64, well, beyond N64 level graphics, but not that far beyond. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. And right. at that time, the jury was still kind of out on how exactly, like exactly how powerful the Wii was if it was actually a GameCube 1.5. Turns out yeah, it was. Yeah, Mario Kart Wii was not a good argument for the GameCube <laughs> <laughs> no, in terms really of graphics. Really, no. Yeah. 
I love how this has turned into a complete Mario Kart. Discussion. I know this, this is one question. We went from cutscenes to Mario Kart. I'm not sure how that happened. It's so good. But so um, I need I need to see like a uh, yeah I need this in chart form to see how we got to this point. Yeah, <laughs> we need a, we need a chart. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, unfortunately, we're not going to tell you how to convince your boyfriend, Jermaine. But um, <laughs> uh, play Mario Kart. Apparently, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yep. No cutscenes there that you that you have to worry about. <laughs> All right, for my topic, uh, this one seems... This, oh, right. We're not done. Yeah, we still have one more. <laughs> yeah. uh, we still got one more with uh, ToonJ723, who says, Hey, guys, what's the first video game you've played from each of the following publishers? Nintendo, Sega, Capcom, Square Enix, Konami, and EA. You are welcome to mes- mention more publishers or developers if you want. Uh, here's mine. So his first Nintendo game was Pokemon Leaf Green. Sega uh, was Sonic Adventure 2. Capcom was Marvel vs. Cla- uh, Marvel versus Capcom Clash of Superheroes. Square Enix, Super Mario RPG. Konami was Frogger at an arcade. And EA was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And I love looking at this list and being, realizing, like, yeah, this is a kid. <laughs> yeah. He's like in yeah, his Harry Potter early kind 20s gave it away, or I something like that. EA. Yeah, yeah, that and Sonic Adventure 2. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I, I thought this sounded fun to reflect on the first game from each of these publishers. So, uh, what was I have a feeling we all have the same first Nintendo game, probably. Yeah, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, and Duck Hunt. Yeah, and Duck Hunt. Yeah, I was going to say the combination cartridge. Yeah, I mean, so real quick, like I'm not 100 percent sure on all these. I don't really think back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was probably Super Mario Brothers or yeah, either Duck Hunt for me as well. So mm. yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure on all of them, but for Nintendo, I definitely I know oh, yeah. it was Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. Yeah, first video game in general. So yeah, that's definitely the first Nintendo game. Yeah, uh, it, it it is funny how all of us had the Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combination. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I mean, although I feel like maybe a lot of people who grew up with Nintendo that might have been their you know first game just because it was a pack in. That is mm-hmm. true. I mean, there's also the one that came with Track and Field, and I, I never knew anybody that had Raw back in the day. Nor I actually. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't know anybody either. Either who had it. I think it's because we were. I think we were just a little bit too late to that, maybe because that was like the kind of the Trojan horse to get the NES into people's homes when it launched. Yeah, um, yeah. We, you know, although we were, uh, I th- well, I was born in '85, and you guys were, you know, around the same time. Yeah. Same um, but we weren't playing games right out of the womb, of course. <laughs> so by the time we we're playing the NES, we were like, you know, what, four or five? Yeah, yeah. eighty-eight, eighty-nine. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think we kind of missed the Rob era, um, and I think that's why we got the. The combo cartridge because that wasn't out at the time of release. Yeah, he was not our robotic operating buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Rob, he's no one's friend. Nope. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, what about Sega? What was your first Sega game? Uh, I have a feeling this one's probably also the same. Probably. Uh, it's Sonic. He was a pack in. I got the Genesis, and boom! Like I did not. I didn't even know the Master System existed until years later. Yeah, same here. Oh, Although. Same. Yeah, I didn't know the master. I didn't had no idea about the master system until years later. However, I was late to the Genesis party, so I actually got one. I, I'm pretty sure that my first Sega game was Sonic Two, oh. and that's what got me to get a Genesis or ask for a Genesis. And my my grandparents got me one one year for Christmas. It was amazing, and they got me that in Sonic Two, and that's what uh, you know, spurred me to go back and play Sonic One. But I think I mean I might have played like an Alex Kidd game at a friend's house or something, but I'm pretty sure it was Sonic Two. That had to be so hard to go from Sonic Two to Sonic One. 
And, you know, at the time, it actually wasn't. It, I, I was more fascinated, I think, by just seeing more Sonic and seeing how it began and, and how Sonic 2 had evolved from that. Like, even as a kid, I was, like, really into seeing how games got to where they were, like, if there were games I hadn't played prior to that in a series. Mm-hmm. And and I, I even back then enjoyed Sonic 1 for what it was, even though I definitely know I like 2 more. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Andre? Uh, yeah, I think... Um, so, I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's either Sonic the Hedgehog 1... Um, or actually, it might be Columns. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because yeah, one of my friends had a Genesis, and he had Columns, and it was on like a triple pack of games. So I guess it could conceivably be any of those three games, which is Columns, some soccer game, and some uh, motorcycle game. But yeah, I think it was either Sonic or Columns. Probably Sonic, I'm pretty sure, but if not Columns. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Capcom. DuckTales. DuckTales. Oh, nice. Same for of me. Of course. The, yeah. I that, it's, I, yeah, I'm not sure. For me, it's either DuckTales or Mega Man 3. I'm not exactly sure. Um, probably Mega Man 3. Probably. Maybe. It's probably like I a know... baby bird, like the first game you see <laughs> you'd latch onto for life. I know, right? Well, I know for sure Mega Man 3 is the first Mega Man game I played. I just don't know if it's the first Capcom game I played. I may have played DuckTales before that, and I'm willing to bet that I probably did, actually. So okay. I'm actually going to go with DuckTales. Yeah, it was DuckTales because I was young. My parents were picking the games, and they, they knew I loved DuckTales. So they probably they saw the game and, like, here you go. Thank God it was an awesome game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's yeah, such right. an amazing game. The, uh, the moon music? So uh, good. When's, Dis- oh, when's Disney Afternoon Collection coming to the Switch? What the hell? Right? right? So dumb. Yeah, what? Talk about your all-time blunders. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> man it's, it's really you can tell we're all similar ages because we're getting the same exact games although this <laughs> yeah this one's i think going to be different square square Probably. enix final fantasy 6 okay. i'm pretty sure all right all right what about uh, you Ash? mine uh mine is final fantasy mystic quest uh which i didn't like at the time and i i barely played it, it as like this game's stupid and then i played my real first square game which was ff6 and then i went back and appreciated mystic quest for the weirdness that it was but technically it would be final fantasy mystic quest mm-hmm. so since i was a i went from nintendo to, and didn't play any square enix games on there went to genesis uh, i did not play a fun i did not play a square game until final fantasy 7 uh, wow! My first RPG and Square Enix game in general, and after that, I was hooked. <laughs> RPGs nice. were my new favorite genre, and definitely like Square, like SquareSoft. SquareSoft's releasing something new, taking it. I'm, I'm buying it. I don't care what it is. Oh no, that's exactly how I felt when I played FF6. I'm like, oh, any game that has their logo, I know is just going to be be amazing, and that was true until I got Secret of Evermore and got burned, and then <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe I need to be a little more discerning, even with Square. But, Nintendo Power, um, save me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, man, I got to say, Derek, you did miss out on on a really fun hype phase going from FF6, like waiting for FF7. The hype for that game, the buildup was unlike anything else at the time. Hmm. I remember the commercials for Final Fantasy VII, how they just oh, hyped it up as an epic com- thing and be like, holy oh, crap, what is this? I will, yeah. And, and then a friend let me borrow What it. is he? If he succeeds, you live. If he fails, you can always hit the reset button. <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? Get out of here with this nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's like that Final Fantasy VI commercial where the Moogle's like killing all the different monsters, like, next. Like, yeah. getting into like auditions. Like, commercials back in the day were weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They but were. I'll be honest, Final Fantasy VII did seem epic at the time. And it actually kind of reminds me of the advertising for Ocarina of Time. It's like I was going to say that. Where, yeah. where it's, uh, will you be the uh, will you rescue the princess or play like one or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> or play like a girl. Play or like a girl. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, something no, that would that not, not fly these days. <laughs> no yeah. way. Yeah. 
that doesn't hold up. <laughs> nope. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but it was like the first, like I remember being one of the uh, first like video game trailers shown in movie theaters. Like yes, the oh, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, and how epic that was, despite the fact they're blowing up a three twenty by two forty image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do remember grade. that though. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, it was epic. <laughs> Alright, Konami. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on NES. Same here. Same. The, the original. Same. Yeah. I just crappy, remember it pissing me off. Game. Yep. Yeah. The game is trash. And I don't say that about many games, but it it's really bad. But here's but the thing. I kept yeah. going back to it because I was I want I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles me so too. much and I wanted to get to it. And I remember getting to the rooftops level. Yep. And then that I was think where that's I got where most stuck. people got. Yeah, most people I think got to level three, and I did. I, I loved the turtles so much that I was like, I just want to keep playing this game, and I'd always play up to level three, and then just I couldn't get past it. And it wasn't until later with the Game Genie that I actually, you know, pl- played the entire game and saw how it all played out. I'm like, this game is way too hard. It only gets harder from the rooftop level. Oh, I bet. I yeah, bet. it's crazy. It, like the enemy, like lineups they had was just insane and so when i when two came out uh it was based on the arcade game i was like oh my god this is so much better i do love how the enemies in tmnt1 for nes like what where do they even come from what was no the basis idea. for them you had like these walking fired men like these dudes on fire you had other guys with chainsaws that looked like they were part cyborg like where do they even come from there was no precedent for that in Ninja Turtles anything mm-hmm. I also love how every kid figured out the trick to beating uh, I think it's Rocksteady where you play as Donatello, oh, Donatello is, hide up yeah. in the box just keep hitting down <laughs> Oh, Donatello is easily like objectively the best character in that game his his uh, range was ridiculous oh god yeah how far did you yeah. get in that, Andrea? Did you, or were you still like you are now? It's like no, this game pisses me off. I'm done. Oh uh, no, I definitely wasn't. Um, I, I think there were elements of that, but I definitely had way more um, longevity as a kid for that kind of BS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. Uh, with that said, I don't think I ever got that far in Teen- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm pretty sure the first Water World just did me in. I'm like, screw this. First, I'm done. The first example of the seaweed. <laughs> Yeah, oh, exactly. yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. that's where I was stuck forever. I do remember that for a long time, I couldn't even get to the rooftops because that was the first major spike was the the water level with the dam and disarming those damn bombs. And oh, mm-hmm. the first time I beat that, I was so excited. Oh, yeah. And then I got to level three and just still couldn't beat it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, yep, we're still going to just kick you in the teeth. It's like, oh, yeah. thank, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this one ought to be interesting. Your first EA game. <laughs> So I was actually looking through a whole list here because I couldn't remember what my first EA game was, and I have kind of two. One on the technicality, and I don't think it I don't know if it counts. So I think technically my first EA game would be SimCity on Super Nintendo, but that was published by Nintendo and developed by Nintendo, so I don't know if that counts. Hmm. So if it doesn't count, then it would probably be SimCity 2000, which I'm pretty sure was made by EA on Super Nintendo, uh, but what also wasn't, I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> so I didn't play too much of it. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like either a, it sounds like a SimCity game was probably my first EA game. Okay. What about you, Ash? Hmm, yeah, I had a hard time with this one because I, I, I think that it, my first EA game very well might have been the original SSX, which sounds crazy wow. because that's, you know, I know because I didn't, how could I not have played an EA game before that? But looking through their gameography, they just have traditionally not done a lot of series that I'm particularly care about or styles of games that I'm really into. So I did, but I did play uh, the original SSX and I, I remember liking it, but I also didn't play it that much. So I will say that if that doesn't count as a technicality because I didn't really play it that much, then it may very well be that my first EA game legitimately was Mass Effect 1. Jeez. 
and That's and yeah, crazy. I've just never been a big EA fan because I just don't I don't play a lot of their kinds of games. Certainly not sports games. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, my first was, and I don't know which one it was, but but I do remember going to uh, my cousin's place, and they had Madden on the Genesis. I don't remember which one. I'm going to guess probably Madden 94 or something like that, one of the early ones. And I remember playing a little bit of that with him. I didn't understand it. I did not like it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what the heck is going on here? Uh, but if that doesn't count, the first EA game that I ever owned was NHL, NHL 94, which we talked previously on a podcast about. Okay, about then you know what? That's I completely forgot about that angle. Yes, NHL 94 for Genesis specifically mm-hmm. was definitely my first EA game. Now, I completely forgot about that, but yeah. Yeah. That was my first EA game. So I was no looking doubt. through. I was like, where is an EA game? And then I spotted NHL. It's like, of course it was NHL 94. Uh, <laughs> right. After that, I got into like, uh, this, I, on the Sega Saturn, I had um, NASCAR 98 because I was in the NASCAR as a kid. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I, I, I experienced a few of their sports games before going beyond. But it's funny. I never really played any of their non-sports games for, I don't even know when. <laughs> Just it took a while. Yeah. SimCity 2000, actually, on the PC. That might have been it. Okay. So it's a cool question, though. This is fun, kind of yeah. Investigating and trying to, and trying to remember what what was actually was the first game we played from all these publishers. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's fun to play along too. Like people can listen to this and be like, "Oh yeah, I, I played this first or something like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, thank you very much for the question, t- uh, Tune J. And uh, I think that wraps it up for episode 110 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. So we're going to be doing, uh, trying to do our best to get a lot more consistent with these. Uh, we we know we've uh, disappointed a few of you that we have been a little inconsistent because of that so we're going to work on that uh do our best uh but of course if you guys like these podcasts you can support us on patreon just for one dollar a month get these podcasts three days early every friday we're going to be doing our best to stick to that and uh be able to ask questions like these uh as well as getting getting access to our vip room uh for our discord so thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for episode 111 till then bye